All right. It's amazing what you can do in a few hours, and that was like $12,000. How would you like to buy a home, a couple-bedroom house for $12,000? Well, you know, God is really doing some interesting things in the world. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that really since 9-11, I want you to go back 20 years plus, right? That I believe that was a turning point in America. It was like the door was left open and things began to go downhill in a lot of ways. And then we hit 2020 and there were people that thought, oh, this is gonna be the great year. And then we, uh, we found out that um, the Chinese had planted a, uh, a virus on the world. We said that in 2020 and everyone called us conspiracy theorists. Now it took three years later for legacy media to come up and tell us the same thing. But if that wasn't enough to devastate mankind, to bring fear, to bring suicidal thoughts to children, to disrupt our world, and then just recently we saw the upheaval of a couple of prominent banks in America. And you, you kind of look back, you step back and you say, what's going on in our world? Well, there's a truth in Scripture that when you step away from the Lord, that you get in control of your own life and things begin to degenerate. When a nation does that, it's the same thing. And so you see a national judgment on America because America has taken a course counter to God. I can't think of a time when an administration has been so overtly evil, where pharma, big tech, has been so overtly evil and unashamed, completely unashamed. But I really believe that the one thing the Scripture teaches is that as the church, as the world gets darker, the church gets brighter. You see, what happens is you, you stick out more when you're bright and when it's darker out, amen? And so I really believe there's a call right now on the church to be brighter than they've ever been before. We are entering into a battle, a bigger battle than most of us really realize. The spirit of the age seeks to rob individuals and whole nations of their freedom and their national sovereignty. The battle is not physical, it is spiritual. Do not think that this can be solved by the next elected official. This is a spiritual problem that will only be rectified by the truth that when my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will heal the land. Only God can heal land that is broken to this degree. To see what's transpiring, you will need to resharpen your spiritual senses. The way that you viewed life before will not work tomorrow. You have to have the eye of discernment that comes from the Lord. You'll also need to live closer to the Lord than you ever have before. That means you're going to have to exercise some discipline to be in the Word and to be in prayer. You need to spend some time every day. Don't think that just coming to church one or two times a month is going to fill your cup. You have to have that cup filled every day. The reason is because you spill it by noon most days, amen? 
The other problem is that Christians leak. They get filled with the Spirit, but they leak. I don't know what, hap- what happened. I don't know. The filling is gone. Where is it? Get it back. Call on the Lord. Amen? And then you're also going to have to increase your commitment to the Lord and to his church. Do you realize that the church is the body of the living God? It's not just an organization. Oh, we have an organization here, but it's more than that. You are the literal body of Christ. He is the head and we are the body. And the body is meant to be together. The body is meant to minister to one another and to others. And if the body is is scattered all over and and pursuing other things, they can't be the, the body of Christ the way that God wants them to be. You see, the church of the last days will stand not on tradition or culture, but on the word of God and the power of the spirit of God. A holy remnant of God is waking up. You know, God always worked with a small group. He always worked with a remnant. It was never the majority that made the difference. If you want to see the biggest religion in the world, just go to the soccer stadiums of the world. There's worship going on there. There's adoration going on there. There's offerings going on there. All those things are going on there, but it's not the right God. And if you're going to make a difference, you have to say, I will make a difference in my lifetime. You see, instead of fear, there needs to be praise. In the darkest hour, the church around the globe, I believe, is lifting up high praises to God. My pastor friend in Pakistan sent me 108 photos last night. Who sends 108 photos to anyone? I started downloading them, and it was like, I can't do this now. This is like, it's going to take me a week to download all these photos. But they were of the recent crusade there where hundreds and thousands of people are coming to faith in Christ and healings are happening around the world. And by the, by, the, by the will of God, we're going to be in Pakistan. I don't know if it's going to be this year, but it's definitely going to be next year if, if we can't squeeze it in this year. But we want to be a part of what God's doing globally where the Spirit of God is moving. When God starts to move, you want to stay in the mix because it'll rub off on you. you know, have you ever noticed how, how depression rubs off on you? You get around somebody depressed before long, you're depressed. I go like, I was feeling great before I get, what happened to me? You know, it just rubbed off. And when you get around somebody joyful, you get joyful. So what you want to do when the Spirit of God is moving in someone, when faith is is exercising itself in a person's life, stay close to them and it'll rub off on you, I promise you. You see, but millions are lifting their collective voice around to every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language declaring the glory of God. I don't want them to do it apart from me. How about you? I want to be a part of that. You know, the Bible says in, in uh, Psalm 149.6, it says, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Now listen to that scripture. In your mouth, there's the praise of God and in your hand is the word of God. That's how you defeat the enemy. That's how you become powerful in times of, of difficulty and challenge and darkness is you, you have the word of God and the praise of God. You see, God is restoring the true church. You see, there's a false church. There always has been. Jesus said, as he was teaching there in the book of Matthew, he said, you're going to find that there's going to be be wolves in sheep's clothing. 
You're going to find that even Satan himself disguises himself, disguises himself as an angel of light. And you see, just because it says church doesn't mean it's church. You see, there's gotta be a commitment to the word of God, to the praise of God. There's gotta be this transformational moment that happens in your life. You know, you don't, you're not a Christian because you go to church. You're not a Christian because you get baptized or take communion. You're a Christian because you've been transformed by the power of God. You've been born into the kingdom of God by the spirit of the living God. That's the only way you come into the kingdom. And I got news for you. When we get to heaven, there's only gonna be one tag on everybody, and it's the blood of the lamb. It's not gonna be Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic. That's not gonna matter. It shouldn't matter now. True believers is what matters. Following Jesus is what matters. You see, the Holy Spirit is calling. He's calling believers back to their first love. It was so interesting when Whitney mentioned the first love in that song. And I thought, isn't it interesting how the Spirit works? She didn't know I was gonna talk about first love. I didn't know she was gonna talk about first love. You know what first love is? Do you remember the day that you fell in love with Jesus that you got saved? You remember how in love you were with him? Nothing mattered. Man, I am just gonna, I love Jesus. You didn't know much. People say, well, what about this and what about that in the Bible? You say, I don't know, I just love Jesus. You went out and witnessed when you didn't know how. You prayed when you didn't know how. You gave money you didn't have. You just, you just, were, you just were in love with Jesus. I was going to a Bible college. I hadn't been saved very long, and there was a, a, a girl that was always late in the class, and so you know she was, she was coming in late, and this time it was really late, and the professor said, I, do you always have to be late? She said, well, today I have a real reason. I ran out of gas. I went out and started my car, and it was out of gas. And I, I didn't have anywhere to get gas, and so I prayed. I said, God, I need gas, and, and when I opened my eyes, I saw the garden hose. She said, well, you know what? If he could turn water into wine, why not gasoline? So she went over and stuck the garden hose in there, and she said, I put a couple of gallons in, I think. I didn't let it run too long because I didn't want to be too late, and it got me here. Now, I never found out if she got home. But you know, when you're crazy in love with Jesus, you just do crazy things. You just believe God can do anything. That's what it means to have your first love. That's what it means to have first love, is you just say, I just wanna go back to that day. I don't wanna become accustomed to God. I don't want Jesus to be normal. I don't want my walk with God just to be you know, going through the motions and robotic. I want it to be alive and full of the Spirit of God. No longer, no longer will the true believers be content with cultural Christianity. It is a new day of power and authority, I believe, in the spirit realm. A new day of generosity to advance the kingdom of God in these last days before the return of the Lord. You listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter three. Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of all your increase. Why? It gives you the answer. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You know why we are generous? We're generous because the Lord calls us to, but we're also generous because of the law of return. God blesses those who invest in the kingdom. A lot of people, you know, they say, well, I just can't afford to do that. That's why you can't afford to do that. See, you gotta remember, there, there's, there's supernatural accounting and there's natural accounting. And if you operate in natural accounting, you're always gonna be short. Supernatural accounting, you're always gonna be okay. See, God is looking for kingdom partners. 
We're going to be talking from Genesis chapter 2 today, and uh, it's so interesting to see this passage unfold. But men and women who will advance the kingdom of God as never before, as partners with God. People of God will arise and be counted among the faithful remnant of the Lord. You see, there is a partnership with God. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2. God said, thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. Now here's this creator God who has spoken the world into existence. He has finished now the six days of creation. Man was created on the sixth day as a crowning act of creation. Do you realize that the entire created order has no meaning apart from man? And I say collectively mankind when I use that term. It has no meaning. Imagine a world out there with everything that's in it except for man. It has no meaning. What gave it meaning was mankind. When God took Adam and Eve, he placed them there in the garden, and he said, I want you to start naming the animals. I want you to start giving meaning to everything you see around here. And I'm going to give you dominion over everything that's here. In other words, I'm creating this for you, Adam and Eve. You are the crowning act of creation. You are created in the image of the living God. This is for you, Adam. And it says they were finished, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And this word work in the Hebrew is not the word that expends energy. See, God doesn't expend energy. God is all-powerful. So God moves, moves a pencil as easy, as easy as he moves a universe. He doesn't get fatigued and go, ah. Oh, Man, six days, that was tough. I've got to sit down and rest. He actually uses the word work there of creativity without labor. Now think about that. This is really cool. Which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he had done. Now it's really interesting that the pattern is work six days, rest one. It's not rest one so you can work six days. There is a difference. And the idea is that when you finish that work, what do you do? And I'm going to get a little deeper into this a little later. But when you finish your six days of work, you look back and you reflect and you understand why you did it. If you don't take time to reflect on why you work, work will become a drudgery. I was thinking of this very thought. I thought, why did I work six days? What did I get out of it? What's the benefit here? And then I realized, well, I have a car and I can go to work, and I can go see friends, and I can go see family. That's why I worked. There's nothing more exciting than when you finish something and you look at the finished product and you say, look what I did. Wow, isn't that amazing? I did that. You see, that's part of what it means to enjoy this rest. God established three institutions that are critically important for the building of the kingdom, for the work of the kingdom. The first one is the family. Let me take you to Deuteronomy chapter six. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord, your, uh, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Does this sound familiar? Jesus quoted that back, didn't he, in the New Testament. And the words which I command you today, you shall, shall be in your heart. You know what that means? That means they can't just be in your mind. They have to be a part of your soul and your very life. 
and you shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Why spend so much time talking to your children about the word of God? Because they're in a hostile environment. They're living in enemy lines. Whether they're at the the small grade school or whether at university, they're in enemy territory. And you'd be surprised how quickly the life of God can be taken out of a young person in college. I just saw something on Charlie Kirk, and and he he showed these before and after photos, these photos of kids before when they're in high school and then when they're in in college. And they're they're absolutely, it's mind-boggling what happens. Here's this sweet, precious person, and then here's this person that looks like they don't have a clue what's going on in life. Their, their life is in total chaos. I tell you what, if I were a parent today with, with uh, college-age kids, they would not go. There's probably not three colleges in America I'd send them to. You've got to realize that it's not college like it was 40 years ago. Something's changed. And there is an agenda, not just on educational, there is a demonic agenda to destroy a generation. And you have to take steps to protect and to look at it from a realistic standpoint and make decisions as an adult in the house. See, so many, so, so many homes are like the, it's like the tail is wagging the dog. The kids are telling everybody what to do in the household and, and there's not a parent in the household. You see, we have to understand that God is giving us this. He says, teach them diligently. In other words, you can't be strong enough with the word of God, pouring it into the life of your children. Pour it in, pour it in, and guess what? You can't pour in what you don't have. So you pour it in you, and then you pour it in them, amen? The second thing is business. You see, God ordained business. The Bible says in Proverbs, in all labor there is profit. We were meant to work. I watched this video, I'll have to find it and, and bring it and show it to you, but it was, a, it was a father who had had all he could take of his now 20-something-year-old son living in the basement playing video games. And he took all the video games and he stacked them all out in the backyard and he had them in a big pile and, and he's got his big riding lawnmower getting ready to drive over him. And the kid is losing it. I mean, he's just like screaming. And it's like, and the mom is taking this video and he's, why are you gonna do this? And he says, because you need a job. I don't know why he waited that long, but you should have seen when the dad rolled over all the video games with the lawnmower, the reaction of the kid. I spent thousands of dollars on that. Yeah, it was my money anyway. I'm rolling it over. You see, in business, you have to understand. My dad gave it, made it really easy to me. You can go to college or you can go to the army, but you're not living here. That's 18. That's 18. I didn't like that. I mean, I had it pretty good there at home. You know, I was an only child. Got all the attention, no hand-me-downs. I mean, it was great. Mom made the bed. She did. My mom made my bed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all right. It's all right. You say, hey, you are an only child. Mm-hmm. So was Jesus. <laughs> only begotten of the Father, that's what it says. Mom made the bed. I had a car. I was on my dad's insurance, medical and car insurance. I had it pretty good. 
Had a little job, didn't have any expenses. Blow it on whatever I want. My dad said, army, or you wanna go to college? I said, I think college. I'm gonna go do the college route. I went the first, I didn't know college was a paid vacation. That's what it is, you go there, and you know all the college kids, they're sweating, I've got 18 hours. Yeah, I had 21, big deal. It's easy, wait till you get in real life. College is simple, you'll know what I'm talking about when I say it's a paid vacation. I went there, and I did what I wanted to do. I never took a book home in high school, I did pretty good, I was pretty smart, and never studied for a test, did pretty good, you know? And I got to college, thought it'd be the same way, I about flunked out. Brought my grade home to my dad, and he said, okay, I'll tell you what, if by the next semester you don't have all A's, you're going in the Army. It's remarkable what study does to grades. I had no idea there was a connection to all of those things. And I started learning something. I started committing myself, because I was thinking, no, we're on the tail end of the Vietnam War here. I'm, this is not what I want to, how I want to spend my life. Amen? But look what it says here about business. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. You know the great caution of all of us in business is this. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. You know what happened at Silicon Valley Bank? They didn't adhere to the scripture. You see, that's close at home because our son has a tech company. One of, one of his tech companies, that's where they bank. And they had to, as a result of that debacle, they had to, he had to fire 34 people last week from his company out of 120. Why? Because business did not adhere to the commands of the Lord. His judgments and his statutes, which I command you today. Deuteronomy 8, 18, listen to what it says. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he that gives you the power to get wealth. Next bank falls, East Coast, all based around Bitcoin. You read the stories, they had one party that was $600,000. Just a party, just to celebrate what was going on there. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. You might get rich quick, but it won't last if you don't honor God. You might get rich, and that's a relative term. I understand that. You, you feel rich right now if you had another $100,000, wouldn't you? You say, heck with that, I'd feel rich with another hundred, amen? <laughs> but you see, it's a relative turn. But remember, it's God who gave you that power to get what you have. God can take that away. I know people say all the time, say, well, I, I just wanna make sure that I'm secure for my future. Impossible. It's impossible to be that secure. Because you've got finance operating, you've got uh, social upheaval operating, you've got health things operating. Security does not exist in man, it only exists in God. And it says, he gave you the power to get wealth. Listen to what it says, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You know what a covenant is? A covenant is an agreement that God makes and we adhere to. We say, God, I hear it, I'm gonna do that. Yes, I hear that, I'm gonna do that, God. And when I honor the covenant of God, God blesses me. When I disregard the covenant of God, God takes that blessing away. 
Then the third institution is the church. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Your faith should never be in me, it should be in God. The cross is the wisdom of God. I've talked to people without Christ. They say, well, that, what kind of God would let his own son be crucified? I said, the kind of God that will raise him from the dead and it will give him part life to every one of every person on planet earth if they would choose him. That kind of God. That's how much love. That's how much love our God has. You see, the second thing I want you to see is time is holy. Do you realize the Bible is the only religion that teaches that time is holy? Spaces are holy, animals are holy in other religions, people are holy in other religions, but God says no time is holy. Listen to what it says. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. You know what the word sanctify? To make holy. Because in it he rested from all of his works which he had created and made. You see, setting aside the Lord's day is holy. Now the Jews, you see, they observe Sabbath, but we believers honor the Lord's day for it was the day of his resurrection. The principle is there, it's one in seven. But you see, what do we do when we reflect? Whether you keep Sabbath on Saturday or you keep Sabbath on Sunday, here's what you do. You, you realize that life is more than work. If you work seven days, you, don't ever, you miss that point. Why am I working? And I have to take that time to look back over the, the previous six days and say, this is why I'm doing this. We also understand that we have value then apart from work. God didn't create us just to be machines to crank out material all the time. He created us to enjoy life and to enjoy our creator, to enjoy our family and to enjoy our friends, to enjoy the environment we have. It's all just also a time to reflect on what we have done. What did I do this week? I, I spent some time and I said, what did I do this week that brings value to me and brings value to others? It's not a bad exercise. Rather than say, what could I have done more? What could I have done better? That's easy. To be your own critic is easy. To be your own cheerleader is hard. Because you think you're proud then. You're not proud. You're taking acknowledgement of what, what God did in you and through you, and you go, look what I did. I solved a problem for someone. I blessed someone. I changed someone's trajectory in life. I, I, I encouraged someone. I, what, it, what is it you did? And then you can answer the question, why am I alive? I'm alive because look what I did for six days. And then I just, in that seventh day, I reflect, and I get to start all over again, and I reflect again. You see, the Sabbath is more than a day, it's a person. Colossians chapter two, let no one act as your judge in regard to a food or drink, a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You know what shadow, you know what Sabbath rest is? It's a shadow of the substance of Jesus. So when God gave Sabbath, he was pointing you to the greater reality of Jesus Christ where you find ultimate rest. See, you can't ever be rested in the spiritual realm by stopping for one day. 
You can only enter into rest. That's what Hebrews 4 teaches us. You enter into the rest. Sabbath was, not, was, was, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Look at what it says in Isaiah 58, and here's a principle, a person and a principle. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day unto the Lord and honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasures, nor speaking your own words. He says, if you will honor Sabbath, Saturday or Sunday, if you will honor Sabbath, I'm gonna make your life good. I'm gonna make your life rich. Have you ever noticed how many times we say, well, I'm really not doing anything on Sunday? Just church, but I can go next week. I can watch it online. Do you realize that's breaking the principle of God? It really is. He says, if you'll, if you'll, if you'll just take the time, look what he says. If, you'll turn, if you turn your foot away from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure. You see, there's no doubt, you can find something pleasurable to do on a Sunday. But you've got to call it a delight, he says, a holy day of the Lord, an honorable, not doing your own ways or finding your own pleasure, no speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, and the mouth of the Lord is spoken. There's so much power here that we've, we've become just so flippant with Sunday, so flippant with God, so flippant with the cross, so flippant with the scriptures, and so flippant with the, with the power of God. But I want you to see something else that's revealed in Genesis, and that's mercy and justice. Have you ever been driving on the road and somebody sped by you? You're going, let's say you were going 70 in a 65. Right? That's the honorable speed limit over. <laughs> it's, it's in that, that little book that you study to get your license. I know it's in there somewhere. And, and you're going 70, and somebody races by you going, let's say, 80. What's your first thought? Well, who does he think he is? I hope he gets caught. Boy, the reckless driving. I can't believe this is going on, right? And then you drive up there and the police have caught him and are giving him a ticket. And what do you say? Oh, yeah, yeah you got it. Mm -hmm. You deserve that. You should have only gone five miles over the speed limit. We know that's the legal speed limit is five miles over the speed limit. And you're driving along and you feel good about yourself, right? Because you're self-righteous. We all been there. And you're going 70, you're feeling good about yourself, and a policeman pulls you over and said, sir, do you know how fast you were going? I said, yes, sir, I was going 70, the allowable speed limit. <laughs> he said, no, sir, it's 65, and I think you need a, a lesson. And he writes you a ticket. And as he's writing you a ticket, let me ask you something. Do you want justice or mercy? I didn't hear you very well. Do you want justice or mercy? Everybody wants mercy, amen? I want mercy, but I want everyone else to get justice. Am I wrong? Have you noticed how you judge other people on the basis of your strength, not your weakness? Come on now. Genesis 2.4, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord uh, God made the earth and the heavens. 
This is the first time that God is revealed as both Adonai and Elohim, these two words of God. Because those are the names of God that have to do with mercy and justice. You see, an overabundance of mercy means an increase in injustice. We're seeing it in court systems today that are releasing people from jail or not holding them accountable. They say we're going to be merciful to them, but what that does is it increases injustice in our world. Those who show mercy to the cruel end up being cruel to those who desire mercy. You know, it's been said that humans need four things. They need air, food, water, and someone to blame. Adonai reveals God as a God of mercy. Elohim reveals God as a God of justice. You see, God is a perfect balance of mercy and justice. Let me illustrate this. Let me just read this from the book of Luke. One of the criminals on the cross said, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. The other said, do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember you, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Mercy and justice met. And that unlikely thief on the cross, who in the last moment of his life understood justice and he understood mercy. Stand with me, would you? Father, we thank you that you are a God of justice and you're a God of mercy. And you demonstrated that in the cross of Calvary. When you died for our sins, you were buried and rose from the dead to give us eternal life. Father, we want mercy, but God, we also need justice in our life. And it was the just decision of God to lay his life down for his children at Calvary. And when we enter into that faith decision of believing that God died for our sins, and he rose from the dead to give us life. We understand justice and we understand mercy. And they're both necessary. I don't know if you've ever received Christ, if you've ever prayed and received Christ. Billy Graham once said that he believed the greatest harvest of souls is in the local church for people who think they're saved and are not, who are substituting being good for the new birth. I don't want anyone to leave here with a shadow of a doubt. I want you to, to, to know without a shadow of a doubt that you're, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that you're born into the kingdom of God, the Spirit of God lives in you, and your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So I want to invite you right now just to bow your head, pray this prayer. You can pray it out loud. I'll give you the words. It'll be your faith of trusting in God. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on a cross for my sins, that you were buried in a tomb. You rose from the dead to give me eternal life. 
remove my sins and give me new life in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, I will be saved. Save me, Lord Jesus, and write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now in your own words, if you prayed that prayer, just thank him right where your standards said. Just thank Jesus for saving your eternal soul for writing your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, for giving you a hope that cannot be taken away, to give you a joy that cannot be diminished, to give you a power over the evil one. This is what it means to be born again. This is what it means to be saved, to be able to enjoy the very presence and the power of Almighty God. Amen.